0: Welcome, everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource. Joining me is Paul Terrell, CFO of Gaia, Inc. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Jeff. So, Paul, for those that aren't familiar with Gaia, can you just give us a quick overview of the company?
1: Sure. Gaia is a direct-to-consumer streaming video platform focused in a variety of niche content verticals and the majority of our content is produced in-house to the point of about 85% of our viewership on a monthly basis is all in-house produced content. We are in 185 countries today with subscribers over 821,000. Our uh, revenue model is a monthly or an annual subscription, $1,199 a month or $99 a year for the people that would like to do that. And we've recently launched a live events business that is not for the purpose of live events, but more for the purpose of creating engaging content that is time bound, that becomes a value prop anchor for our uh, $299 annual subscription that we launched about a year and a half ago. And so, again, today we're 821,000 roughly members in 185 countries. And uh, different than most streamers of our size and scale, we're operating profitably and in a self-sustaining business model. So that means we're generating net income and creating cash rather than consuming cash. Very good.
0: So how large of a market are you
1: addressing? We sized our market roughly about two and a half, three years ago. That was the last time we sized it. And we sized it based on looking at internet-connected homes that were streaming content. And the reason we did that is because we didn't look to ourselves to be the reason that someone would get a device, sign up for a service, and start streaming content. So we're really looking for people that have already adopted streaming. And Digital TV Research did a survey back in 2019 that said by 2024, that would be roughly half a billion households globally and so we started there and then we commissioned a research company because again we're a set of micro niches that we're con- consolidating into a broader umbrella under Gaia and so what we did is we had a survey company go out and pull roughly about 2,500 people and ask them would they be interested in one of our topics and would they be interested in paying for uh, the right to access that content. And so we sized that half a billion down roughly to about 69 million. And then from that, we actually skinny it down even further because we know from looking at our retention data and engagement data, it's not really enough for someone to just be interested in one thing, like say yoga. If they're only interested in yoga, they'll come do yoga for a little bit, but then they'll get enticed away by an offer from some other yoga competitor that's willing to give them a discount to try. So we're really looking for people that are interested in multiple topics that we cover because we understand that's really where the value starts to present itself in terms of our curated library. So as we look At a five-year model, roughly 2024, the global market's about 26 million. And again, that's based on three-year-old data. I think as we look at the adoption curve that the last two years has done in terms of streaming and people being comfortable looking for content, that number at the top's probably gotten bigger. And I think the other piece of this is that the events that have transpired over the past few years has led more and more people to start looking for content that Gaia is in the center sweet spot. A perfect example of that from this past summer was the the disclosure of kind of the UFO papers as they were talked about from uh, the federal government. So originally when we talked about, uh, you know, UFOs and, and aliens and extraterrestrials, people would look at us side-eyed. And now here's the U.S. federal government acknowledging that these things are out there. And so it's becoming more, relevant to more and more people. So where we might have been in the fringe for people that were aware of this, I think we're moving more towards mainstream awareness, which means that our audience will continue to grow. Okay,
0: so it sounds like it's a pretty large and and growing market.
1: Yeah, and if you juxtapose that against where we are today of roughly 100,000, 820,000 subscribers and the goal of being self-sustaining gets us in somewhere in the 15 to 25% target growth rate today from a revenue perspective, you can see that the audience is plenty big for us to grow with our stated objective. Okay.
0: And so where do you fit in with the competitive
1: landscape? We've actually done a lot of work with our internal members to understand exactly that question. And we've positioned ourselves purposefully below the top tier entertainment players. We're not trying to serve the needs of a Netflix or a Hulu. We're going for the customer that is looking for the content that we have, and we're trying to coexist with these entertainment players that are out there. So if you look at the streaming landscape, there's a lot of big entertainment players that are all vying for not only the same eyeballs in terms of the content that they're producing, but also the same people that are creating that content. And and so it's creating inflationary pressure on the cost of content that we don't have to play with and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, and it's creating uh, you know, fatigue from the consumer perspective or worse, switching behavior where someone will sign up for a month for Netflix to watch what's on there, and then they'll migrate to Hulu, and then they'll migrate to HBO Max, but they have no intention of staying. And our our messaging for our members is that we're – for members, by members, and member-supported. So there's no advertising in our business model, and we purposefully do that so that we resonate with the people that are looking for our content, and they understand that their subscription fee that they pay goes to create more content and keep Gaia as an independent voice producing this content that wouldn't otherwise see the light of day. So I'll circle back on to that content uh, point that I teased out there a minute ago we're able today to produce content relatively uh, at whatever scale we want from a dollar perspective but we've honed in roughly at about 25 to 35,000 per hour of content for our higher end shows and that's really important because if you look at uh, a similar sized streaming competitor, competitor and Curiosity Stream they're saying that they're doing content very efficiently at $250,000 per hour of content, so they're roughly about 10 times our cost of content. But where it gets really important from the financial uh, model perspective is my average revenue per user is roughly about $8.50 per month. Curiosity Streams is roughly about 25 cents per month. So you can start to see how my user base paying $8.50. A month on average and my cost of content allows me to create content into these what would it be otherwise micro audiences and then put those micro audiences together into what becomes the global conscious community that Gaia is ultimately trying to build
0: so it sounds like you can produce a lot cheaper than you can acquire in general is that correct
1: Correct, and we very specifically stay out of the fray as it relates to uh, content acquisition. We don't really need first runs. Our, our network isn't really about, um, quote-unquote, hits or new. It's about the information and the content that we've curated over the many years that we've been doing this and becoming a one-stop resource for people that are interested in exploring the topics that Gaia has on its platform. And more importantly, that then creates a draw for content creators to want to come to our platform and be part of that ecosystem. So we get the member draw and the content creator draw. And so with our production facilities in Colorado that we've built out on our corporate campus, we're able to do our content production very efficiently because we're not paying day rates for production staff, these are all salaried employees that were also members of Gaia, so passionate about what we do. And we've taken what used to be 150,000 square feet of corporate office space and built it into effectively a soundstage and post-production facility. And instead of getting, you know, $11 triple net for my, my uh, square feet that I was renting to other tenants, now I'm able to subsidize the cost of creating my content. And so it's really about throughput and quality uh, as opposed to looking at it from a budget of a show perspective and then needing to go get the production space, needing to hire the production team. And that's really where the cost starts to ramp up for the other players.
0: And on the other side, um, are all the subscribers paid subscribers, or
1: is part of it a, a freemium model? <laughs> we do not have a freemium model at today what we really have is a seven day free trial for people to sign up and try the content and then a paid membership. We do have some content that we've put out into the YouTube world where we go out and selectively partner with YouTube channels that are in that have an audience that we believe would be in our space and we'll do some content partnerships with them where we'll give them some of our premium content. So maybe we take a 45 minute show and cut it down into a 20-minute kind of intro clip that they can put on their channel, and then that tracks back to Gaia. And ultimately, they we get to grow our audience by people that are looking and discovering content on YouTube, and then the the channel gets the benefit of the ad revenue on that, and we end up getting the benefit of any referral traffic that comes back to it. And it's been a way for us to subsidize the cost of paid media because effectively we're using our content as a, a trade, if you will, for the impressions that we would have otherwise had to pay for.
0: So so what um, distribution channels are you on right now?
1: We're pretty much anywhere a consumer will want to be. So when you look at it from a device footprint perspective, we are on all of the Apple devices, including Apple TV. We're on all of the Google Android devices that are out there. We're on all the Amazon Fire devices, and we also have distribution through uh, Roku and their device infrastructure. We've also created partnerships with the traditional MVPD or cable operators, if you will. So we have channels on uh, premium a la carte SVOD channels on Xfinity and uh, Charter are probably the two bigger ones that people are aware of, and then a handful of other regional players that are there. And that's really just to grow the awareness of our content and the audience that it hasn't cut the cord yet. And so that was really important for us in 2013, 2014 when we were starting and streaming wasn't as ubiquitous as it is today. Today it's not as relevant, but there's still a profitable channel to be had there. And then we also have a chan- two channels on Amazon Prime Video where as part of the Amazon Prime video platform, you can sign up and watch Gaia content. And that's really important for us because if you think about the amount of content discovery or just frankly any sort of buyer intent that initiates on the Amazon platform these days, it gets us a lot of audience without really having to pay marketing dollars. We just have to do a rev share with all of these partners, which you know is pretty consistent across all the partners and, and the way that the app ecosystem works.
0: So, Paul, what's the typical uh, economics on being on somebody's network, like a Prime or just in general?
1: Yeah, I can't speak specifically to the Prime relationship, but as you think about it from the perspective of the app ecosystem, so the iTunes or the Google Play Store, they have a pretty standard model across all of their developers. And for Apple, that's 30% cut in the first year, and 15% in the second year, and for Google it's 15% generally uh, overall. Roku is very similar. When you start to get into Amazon or the cable operators, those are uh, relatively nuanced partner by partner, and I can't speak to those. But what's interesting for us is that Apple, as part of trying to make Apple TV more robust as an ecosystem, they've actually created a, an incentive for content platforms on the Apple ecosystem to effectively upload your content library so that you can be part of their global search and in exchange for that they cut that first year from 30% to 15% and so we're in the process of being accepted into that program right now and because we recognize our uh subscriber or excuse me our third-party revenue on the net basis, because of the way that the relationship works, that means we'll get a lift in revenue even on the same subscriber count. Okay,
0: and given it's subscriber revenue, I, I imagine you have a pretty good uh, gross margin?
1: Yeah, we've actually, in this it, it ties back to the content spending threshold. Our gross margins are in the 86.5 to 87% range. And when you drill into that, half of that is really content amortization so when you look at it from the cash flow perspective it's going through the investing side of the cash flow statement because we're building an asset and then it's getting amortized into the cost of goods sold as content amortization so we have really good gross margins because of the rate that we invest in content and that allows it to flow through the P&L and we actually have nineteen twenty percent EBITDA margins for what we did last year and and are looking to maintain and grow that as we continue to build revenues. Okay. And then who are your
0: customers? Do you have the demographics on that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Our customers are pretty much across the board when we look at it from an internal survey perspective. You get pretty much every every walk of life. The only consistent theme that we see is that our member base over-indexes in terms of education. So. Uh, some college or secondary degree or higher, we over-index against the general population. And then, again, because we're a premium subscription on-demand offering, you do have some level of socioeconomic threshold that you need to be there. You need to be able to pay for an uh, internet connection and have a streaming device and be willing to pay for the monthly subscription. So it's it's not like real high-end, but generally when we look at it, it's 75,000 household income or higher. And when you look at it male-female skew, it's pretty balanced, slight over-indexed to female. And then when you look at it from an age range, it's pretty much from 30 to 65 or 70. There's no five-year age band that really over-indexes. So, you know, anyone is our potential customer, and we look at it more from the perspective of what are they interested in, so more psychographic data than demographic data.
0: Okay, and how are you reaching them to create awareness?
1: In the beginning when we launched, it was really uh, word of mouth organic. So 2013, we went, <clears throat> we launched and went direct to consumer. We were part of a bigger company, Guyam, at that time, which was a yoga product and wellness company and so we were able to market to the GaiaM consumers to build our initial audience and then as we started to produce original content we tapped into the content creators and uh, incentivized them to market their content on Gaia and help grow the member base and in 2016 we sold that legacy GaiaM business for hundred and sixty seven million dollars and one of the uses of The proceeds was an issuer tender offer at $7.75 a share, and we bought back 40% of the company at that time. And then we kept the rest of the money and used it to fund our marketing budget. And so we really went full steam in terms of digital media. Uh, marketing in the back half of 16, 17, and 18. And really, this was the time when Facebook was coming into its own. And so that gave us a huge opportunity to target people based on interest and psychographic data and was a good growth driver for us as we were growing 60-plus percent a year. In 2019, January, we decided to slow the growth rate down. And the benefit of slowing that growth rate down is is that we were able to because of our bigger size and scale at that point, we were able to get a lot more growth via organic or lower-priced paid media than when we were really trying to build awareness in that hyper-growth phase. And today, I'd say we're pretty balanced between traditional paid media, online, digital advertising channels, uh, kind of organic search intent and paid search where people are looking for information and we pop up as a result of them looking for our information. And then we also have what I'll call into a broad bucket, a a referral side of things, and not the traditional referral business, but more the talent um, doing marketing for their content on Gaia. And then also our existing members helping share Gaia content to to get the word out. And so once you get all that awareness out there, then the, the conversions can start to happen via a variety of sources and we see uh, email conversions as a, a high efficiency play now as we've continued to scale, and that's becoming more and more of a component of what we're doing.
0: Okay, and the growth strategy now?
1: We really have three primary vectors for growth in terms of revenue growth, and w- the first one is the the premium $299 a year subscription that we launched at the end of 2019, we had to put that on a little bit of uh, hiatus during 2020 because the events that were behind it uh, were not able to happen because of COVID restrictions. But now in 2021, we've been able to restart those events. In 2022, we have a calendar of events. So we're really looking at average revenue per user expansion by migrating existing members that engage with GAIA's content up to this premium tier to get access to the content that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get access to. So that's one growth driver. The second growth driver is looking at our language expansion. We've been predominantly English language focused. We launched Spanish quietly uh, in the back half of 2018 and have been building it organically. And today we're in the neighborhood of 45 to 50,000 Spanish language first subscribers. <clears throat> We've. Uh, we're launching French uh, as we speak and German will be launching at the end of the year so we look at uh, language expansion opportunity as another growth driver both in terms of revenue potential and member potential and then the the third component of, of growth that we're really excited about is in December of 2021 we had the opportunity to buy a pure play yoga platform Yoga International And the reason that's important is because there's a segment of the yoga, the online yoga market that's focused at a higher price point uh, offering that's curated for yoga practitioners that aren't really at the introductory level. These are more uh, sophisticated, if you will. So they've done some yoga and they want to go deeper and expand their practice. And the price point on these premium yoga offerings is in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 dollars per month and so yoga international's price hit 19.99 a month and so we're going to be able to use them as a platform to take all of our great yoga content and yoga teacher relationships and put it into a purpose built yoga offering to go after that audience. And so again, this is both a subscriber growth play and a average revenue per user play. Uh, because as we looked at our Gaia ecosystem, it was really hard to invest in the product functionality to delineate a yoga practice experience from the more lean back, watch the long form content experience. And this gives us an avenue to be able to make both of the, the platforms purpose-built for what they're for and serve the audience that they're respectively intended for so that you don't get any frustration on either side.
0: Very nice. So as we watch the company over the next year, are there any events or catalysts we should look for?
1: Yeah, I think the the key part for what we do is it's, you know, our internal mantra is 1% better every day. So we're really looking at just continued uh, excellence in execution at refining the business model and continuing to serve and delight our members so that we can increase retention and also increase the desire and willingness for existing members to talk about Gaia and help share it. So there's not any meaningful catalyst that I would point to other than just continued execution on the basics of the, the streaming business and continuing to maintain the financial discipline that we've demonstrated over the last two years as we've made the transition from heavily investing in growth at the expense of the P&L and the cash balance to now uh, moderately generating net income and cash on a quarterly basis and really focusing on reinvesting that back into future growth opportunities that we see on the horizon.
0: Very good. And before we go, anything uh, you want to leave us with?
1: I would would say that generally as I look at what's going on in the the streaming landscape, I think that there's a lot of uh, consternation in the investing world based on how Netflix has uh, performed recently with a, a net contraction for the first time in their history, and I think that's spooked a lot of people to the broader streaming space. But there are good companies like Gaia out there that are doing something unique that Is creating a defensible space that can ultimately result in shareholder value and returns and when you dig under the hood and look at our economics and the way that we're running our business you'll start to see the distinction of what Gaia's is doing versus what the majority of the other players that are out there doing and I'd say that there's a a tremendous amount of opportunity for people that are willing to do the work to look at a out-of-favor beaten down sector and pick up a a good name at a good value. So I think I'd leave it with that.
0: Okay, great, Paul. Well, thanks for sharing the Gaia story.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks for the time.